0: Okay, so what do you call yourself, huh? Como se llama? Antonio Montana. And you? What you call yourself? Where did you learn to speak the English, Tony? Uh, in a school. And my father, he was uh, from the United States. Yeah. Just like you, you know. He was a Yankee. Uh, he used to take me a lot to the movies, you know. I learned, I watched the guys like Humphrey uh, Bogart, James Cagney. They they teach me to talk. I like those guys. I always know one day I'm coming here, United States. 1980,
1: Miami.
2: They called it Little Havana, where the American dream had a price tag and only one man in a million was hungry enough to pay.
0: This country you gotta make the money first. Then, when you get the money, you get the power. Then, when you get the power, then you get the woman.
2: Scarface. For one brief moment, the world was his.
0: his with. She like me. You must be kidding. What are you talking That's a car. How do you know? The eyes, chico. They never lie.
2: Man, that's the boss's lay. okay? I am the boss. That
0: guy's soft. I like you, Tony. There is no lying in you. Here's to the land of opportunity. We do business together a long time. I know the street and I'm making all the right connections.
3: Remember I told you when you started, the guys
0: who last in this business, the guys who fly straight. With the right woman, there's no stopping me. I could go right to the top. The word on the street, Tony, is you're not
2: a small time punk anymore. Supreme Court says that your privacy can be
0: invaded. You the house this month? You're spending a lot of money on this counter surveillance. We're doing 10 million, 15, $15 million, million a month. Come on. Now that's serious money. Huh? Your bank boys got to come down a bit. Who else can you trust? That's why you pay us. When you oh, do, no. you trust us. You're in good hands with us. Al Pacino
2: is scarface he loved the american dream with a vengeance al pacino scarface
1: god if your life had a face i would punch it yeah wait what Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick?
4: Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood.
5: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 291, Scarface.
6: It's funny watching this as an older person now, knowing more about film, and certainly Brian De Palma. Because This is one of those movies that growing up is just famous. Right. But watching it now, I can see a lot of the De Palma camera work. It definitely stands apart in his filmography. You know what I mean? I've watched a lot of his movies over the last couple of years and a lot of them seem very similar and this I see his like camera work, but I don't know, it just doesn't really seem like a lot of his other work.
5: Well, he was definitely chasing a hit for yeah. sure coming off of some box office disappointment. But I would say that it's similar enough to another collaboration with Pacino Carlito's way Mm, yeah it's probably the film that it would remind me of the most at least which I haven't seen but yeah it's a little more pop mainstream and I think in the world of cinema gangster films are always considered more of a pop mainstream type idea than a lot of the other stuff De Palma was doing but Yeah, it's an interesting film with an interesting legacy. There's a lot to talk about. We're, of course, referring to the 1983 remake of the film.
6: Yeah, we should clarify that.
5: But we'll get into that more as we go along. Before we discuss Scarface, let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Please give us a rating and review if you get a chance. If you'd like a free sticker, let us know on Twitter. And you can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby on there. So yeah, Scarface 1983, directed by Brian De Palma. Screenplay by Oliver Stone. Mm, Yeah, that stands out in the credits. It is loosely based on the 1930 novel of the same name written by Armitage Trail and loosely a remake or reimagining of the 1932 film by Howard Hawks written by W.R. Burnett, John Lee Mahan, Seaton I. Miller, and Ben Hecht. The budget of Scarface is definitely unknown it's somewhere between 23.5 million and 37 million depending on where you get your information it still seems low the box office was 66 million it was not an enormous hit at the Mm. time
6: yeah and i would have thought it was worse because i feel like it's one of those ones you grow up with hearing that it was like a disaster is it just that it was like panned yeah critically it was not
5: loved and it didn't do super great at the box office All I got in my life is my balls and my word, and I don't break them for nobody.
6: That's right. Some great dialogue in this movie. I assume that line was not lifted from the 1930s. The original
5: 1932 film was largely inspired by the story of Al Capone and focuses on an Italian immigrant gangster rising through the ranks of the Chicago gangland. The 83 film, though, tells the story of a Cuban refugee who arrives penniless in Miami during the Mariel boatlift and becomes a powerful and extremely homicidal drug lord. Oliver Stone, by this point, was known as a screenwriter for Midnight Express, which got recognition and Mm, people knew about him. He had directed a couple of small films that had not really broken through yet. His big breakout would come in the years following Scarface, Wall Street, Platoon... That, that Born crazy on the 4th of July. Run? That run was coming later. That we talked about it
6: on the JFK episode.
5: The Mariel boatlift was a mass emigration of Cubans who traveled from Cuba's Mariel Harbor to the United States between April 15th and October 31st, 1980. The term Marilito or Marilitos is used to refer to these refugees in both Spanish and English. While the exodus was triggered by a sharp downturn in the Cuban economy, it followed on the heels of generations of cubans who had immigrated to the united states in the preceding decades i think it's impossible to talk about scarface without dancing around the raindrops with a lot of the controversies and issues with the film the portrayal of cuban americans having an italian american play a cuban american which is also its own can of worms i think there's plenty of things in this film, about this film, etc., that would not play at all in 2022 in the world we're living (laughs) in now? I think so,
6: yeah. (laughs) I think that's fair.
5: Well, just starting from the beginning, there's only one Cuban in the primary cast. Right. (laughs) The rest of the actors are not Cuban. (laughs) I know. Differing versions of where the idea came from originally, but we're going to go with the one where Pacino saw... A revival screening of the original got in touch with Martin Bregman, his agent turned producer who had paved the way for him in Serpico and Dog Day Afternoon. This was originally going to be a vehicle for Sidney Lumet to direct. And his big contribution was the idea to modernize and change the central character to a Cuban refugee in Miami.
6: Okay, so a big one.
5: Yeah, because originally they were just going to do a straight remake and have it be a period piece. But depending on when you're trying to do that in Hollywood, it can be a big undertaking. Sometimes that's not in favor, and they don't want to spend the money to make a 1930s gangster movie. Yeah,
6: yeah. A lot of money spent on wardrobes, set, design.
5: Bregman goes to Oliver Stone to write it, coming off of Midnight Express. Stone, at the time, was dealing with his own cocaine problems, so... Hmm was using that for inspiration. He goes to Miami, he goes to all these different places and researches it. He initially had zero interest because he didn't like the original film. But then when they pitched the idea of the Cuban refugee, he got on board. However, Lumet departs with the old creative differences, quote unquote. He ultimately ends up switching projects with De Palma, who was trying to get Prince of the City made with John Travolta in the lead. Lumet ends up doing that film with Treat Williams and De Palma steps into Scarface because he needed a hit after Blowout was a commercial failure, despite the fact that it's now considered a classic film as well.
6: Absolutely.
5: The controversies were endless, even back then.
6: I know, this is such a divisive movie. It seems like it's mostly well-liked now, but there's still, of course bunch of the shit that you mentioned as to why people would still be critical about it there's also people that just are like this movie's hilarious like it only view it as silly yeah you know it's like all over the place people's reactions
5: first of all it went way over budget which is illustrated by the fact that it's hard to even pinpoint exactly how much they spent on it sure the days of the 70s O-Tours being handed blank checks were Ooh. well over by this point.
6: This is the post-Heaven's Gate world?
5: Yeah, straight from the heart, yeah. or one from the heart, I guess, and Heaven's Gate and a lot of these other movies that cost a ton of money and didn't make any. Killed that idea, so the studio was flipping out about the cost. Miami, as a city, was not happy. <laughs> so ultimately, most of the filming was actually done in L.A. and California with just a lot of establishing shots in Miami. Okay, sure. Because the tourism board, not thrilled. (laughs) The depictions of Cubans in the film was controversial even in the early 80s when it was a lot different time than it is now. During filming, some Cubans objected to the film's Cuban characters being portrayed as criminals by mostly non-Cuban actors The film featured a disclaimer following its credits stating in red, all cap lettering, Scarface is a fictional account of the activities of a small group of ruthless criminals. The characters do not represent the Cuban-American community, and it would be erroneous and unfair to suggest that they do. The vast majority of Cuban-Americans have demonstrated a dedication, vitality, and enterprise that has enriched the American scene. However, adding that disclaimer, it was pretty much too late at that point. It didn't really matter in terms of the firestorm surrounding the film. In a New York Daily News editorial following the film's release, Miguel Perez charged, the movie fails to say that even among those Marilitos who had criminal records, there were thousands whose offenses were so minor that they would not be considered criminals here, and thousands of others whose, quote, criminal record was based on their opposition to the communist regime. So... Yeah, The portrayal that Castro was emptying his jails as part of this immigration to the U.S. Not quite. Was sort of not the full story because as this guy points out, they were considered criminals because they were opposing him. Sure, sure. So he was getting rid of the opposition politically, but then in America, because they came from Cuban jails, they were just being labeled as criminals and stuff like that. Stone always sort of rolls with this controversy and laughs it off saying that tony montana is one guy sure and not representative of the people as a whole and that he adds the part in about his mother and sister and they're the opposition to it and they're his mother's disgusted by it and you know sure yeah and it's I interesting because this movie seems at times, to flirt with a very anti-Castro narrative, and yet later in Stone's career, he would do a documentary about Castro that would seem very pro-Castro. Well, maybe <laughs> his eyes very, were open yeah, doing very some all this over research. The place. Yeah,
6: cocaine is a hell of a drug.
5: So the elephant in the room that you have to address is that Al Pacino is not Cuban, right? And he is the central character in the film. I think it's best that when we quote the dialogue, we don't try to imitate the voice he's doing
6: are you putting that out there for me
5: and me because it's very <laughs> tempting it, it really is because
6: i mean looks the say hello to my little friend thing is it's another one of those lines everyone grows up knowing whether right. or not you've seen this movie
5: yeah i i know that this is a cop-out and i'm in no way the person that would get to decide these things but for me personally i don't really even think of tony as cuban or yeah. anything he just seems like a one of one I don't feel like he represents anybody. He's this unique character that exists only in a movie. He really is so much larger than life that it's hard to imagine anyone exactly like him. And he he
6: seems made up. (laughs) It doesn't seem like a real person to me. He almost seems like, a not to belittle the performance or anything, but it's a little bit of a caricature of a person.
5: Yeah, I think that this is something that I was going to save to the end, but we can get into now. I was reading through lots of reviews, and I think Ebert really hit the nail on the head. He considers it a truly great Pacino performance because there's an inherent understanding of the need for a bombastic, scenery-chewing performance in the film. That's what the film demands. sure. Because you can compare it to... A lot of Pacino's other roles, and there, yes, we did Heat on the show, for example, and that's also over the top, but he also has a lot of understated, calm, quiet performances in his career, too, and I think that as an actor, you sort of have to make a decision on when to go big and when to go small, and I think that there's no better time to go big than Scarface, which is sort of the whole point of the movie, in a way. Everything is so... 1980s decadence gaudy gross over the top in your face trashy under the guise of being classy which is always funny to me like when he gets rich and he buys the all the huge (laughs) house (laughs) and everything it's tiger
6: print in the car (laughs)
5: Everything is kind of not great, no, really. You, you would think, do you really want to live in this house? It doesn't even seem like a house. His
6: insane suits with like his shirts unbuttoned.
5: Ebert says, he begins with no resources or weapons except for his bravado and fakes out more powerful men simply by seeming dangerous and resourceful. His act is a bluff, so there's no sense in underplaying it. And I do think that a lot of the critics of the film don't necessarily vibe with that idea, but I think it's a a performance that works for this material. It injects this life into the character that I don't know would be there otherwise. Yeah. I think that he needs to be that way to make this story seem even remotely believable. Because, as Eber points out, he starts with nothing. How do you get from a guy in right. a refugee camp to be a drug... Lord filthy millionaire even if it's a kind of a long movie at two hours and 50 minutes how do you get to be that
6: and there are a lot of jumps
5: you have to fake it till you make it and I think that the way that he acts and shows no fear and commands the room when he's in it it all plays into that idea this rise this dramatic rise to the top of this criminal underworld I'm not the biggest gangster film guy, and I don't necessarily watch Scarface every year or anything like Mm -hmm. that. It doesn't resonate with me the same way that I think it does with other audiences, but I think that watching it now for the podcast, I I appreciate the film on a whole other level than I did probably the first time seeing it as a teenager or whenever that was and not really appreciating the, the filmmaking techniques employed by De Palma, or the unbelievably cool score from Giorgio Moroder, yeah, who yeah. we know from doing American Gigolo, and just the whole 80s-ness of it. It's so oh, early 80s, where people are still kind of reeling from the 70s, but they don't know how to fully embrace what the 80s are yet, and everything is so crazy. You've got cocaine and huge guns that's and funny. a like, tiger on a leash.
6: Dude, I know. Well, that that's the thing. When I was a kid... And movies are becoming part of your universe and you're becoming aware that there were certain big movies that are important to people. And I remember discovering this one and just like being aware of it. And like my dad being like, oh, yeah, the violence in Scarface is insane. Like it's so hard to watch, which I don't know. At a certain point, as you're getting older, there is just like no violence that phases you in any way anymore. But I had that image going in the first time i ever watched it and then halfway through it's the most insane 80s silly montage that <laughs> there's a tiger him and sosa just fucking chuckling away
5: <laughs> it's hard to contextualize this film now 40 years later basically for a couple of different reasons first as you mentioned the violence. Which, by today's standards, isn't that crazy. However, the thing that was definitely crazy in 1983 is the nonstop profanity. Yeah. There were not movies that talked like this yet. I see. That was not a thing yet, to have fuck said more than 200 times, more than 300 times. That was not common. It just just wasn't mainstream movies doing that. Every line. Less than two months before the film's release, on October 28th, 1983, Scarface was given an X rating by the Motion Picture Association of America for excessive and cumulative violence and for language. De Palma had already recut the film three times by that point, and he stated, I said I've had it with these people. I'm not taking any more out. Bregman told the New York Times that we have been designated as a pornographic film. We'll accept the X rating and appeal. Universal would not release the film with an X rating due to the porn perception and the reduction of ticket sales. Most newspapers, TV, and radio stations would not run ads for an X-rated film. Nuts. On November 8th, an appeal board composed of 20 theater owners, studio executives, and independent distributors overturned the decision 17-3 in favor of an R rating, more than the two-thirds required. De Palma believed that the changes were minor enough to be unnoticeable and requested to release the original cut of the film with the rating... When the MPA refused, De Palma released the film uncut anyway, only admitting to it months after the film's release, (laughs) which is one of the famous stories about Scarface is that he couldn't get that specific version to be R, but then just released it anyway and acted like it was the cut version (laughs) because he didn't think it mattered. And in all fairness, it probably didn't really. It becomes an argument over just standing your ground at a certain point. It's not even the specifics anymore.
6: Well, we've done enough of these stories now where you figure out the stuff that they cut is like seconds or frames.
5: Yeah, exactly. The initial reception to the film was pretty negative. There were positive reviews too. As I said, Ebert was a big fan of it right away. And there were other critics that liked it, but a lot of very visceral negative reactions to it. I think Hollywood itself was horrified by it mm. because change is painful, and to a lot of the old Hollywood that was still very much alive in 1983, oh, yeah. this was another level of shocking that this they weren't like ready for.
6: This is New Hollywood cranked up to a 1,000.
5: Of course, over time, there's been a subsequent reappraisal of the film. It's now considered among the best gangster films ever made, and it has resonated deeply in many different cultures, especially in hip-hop. And went on to influence countless other films and TV shows and comic books and video games. Some things that I picked out just for fun. Okay. Maybe my favorite video game ever, Grand Theft Auto Vice City.
6: Which is seemingly, at least mildly inspired by this? Yeah, yeah.
5: basically. The character of Razor Ramon, portrayed by Scott Hall in the WWF.
6: Hell yeah, maybe my favorite wrestler Was pitched ever.
5: as... Scarface, and they went for it, and that he basically is doing a Scarface. Scott Hall is not Cuban either.
6: (laughs) That's correct.
5: In 2003, for the film's re-release, the studio wanted De Palma to change the soundtrack to be hip-hop songs inspired by the film. He
6: Hmm. thankfully
5: said no, which that would have been stupid. I'd say so. I'm not a big fan of anachronistic soundtracks. If the songs didn't exist in 1983, I don't want them to be in the movie. That's just how it is. So let's get into it. There's a lot to cover. It's a long film. Definitely. With a long legacy. In May 1980, Fidel Castro opened the harbor at Mariel, Cuba, with the apparent intention of letting some of his people join their relatives in the United States. Within 72 hours, 3,000 U.S. boats were headed for Cuba, It soon became evident that Castro was forcing the boat owners to carry back with them not only their relatives, but the dregs of his jails. Of the 125,000 refugees that landed in Florida, an estimated 25,000 had criminal records. That's how the film starts. So you can't really get around the fact that Stone was definitely portraying a huge portion of these human immigrants as criminals. That is apparent right away in the text of the film.
6: You do enjoy the brief blurb setting up a movie. Kind of like Top Gun does the same thing in the 80s. They had that move down where it's just like one paragraph, here we are.
5: Yeah, and incorporating a real life event into the beginning is kind of unique and cool too. I'm sure that... A lot of Americans, just as they would be today, were very uneasy about the immigration to the United States. Although I think now things seemingly are worse because of 24-hour news channels and social media and everything else. But So there's already sort of playing into a certain segment of the country's fears and uncertainties about what's happening. And then they're saying, look, all of these people are coming to this country and a huge part of them are criminals. And then they're going to tell you this story about this insane homicidal maniac
6: (laughs) (laughs) under the guise of this is the American dream,
5: but we've got the Marauder score going. It's just so exquisitely eighties. This Uh and American gigolo are two very cool scores.
6: Yeah. And I would say it captures several very different tones. Well,
5: yeah, it's got that new wave thing, but it's the days of Tangerine dream and some of those other people. Vangelis from Blade uh-huh. Runner, you know, that, that new electronic score that was very popular at the time, and I wish it would sort of come back more.
6: I know, it did add another element to filmmaking.
5: And you're incorporating the actual newsreel footage showing people getting on these boats, coming to the country. It's all swirling together, and I, I, I like that you threw out the phrase American Dream already, which I think is depending on how you view the film what the movie is about now what i mean by that is it's either the corrupted yeah dark side of the american dream or it is the american dream period
6: it all ends sort of tragically but you also have this guy coming from nothing and gets to
0: millions
5: right okay so what do you
0: call yourself huh como se llama antonio montana and you? What you call yourself? where did you learn to speak the English, Tony? Uh, in a school. And my father, he was uh, from the United States. Yeah, just like you, you know. He was a Yankee. Uh, he used to take me a lot to the movies, you know. I learned. I watched the guys like Humphrey uh, Bogart, James Carney. They, they teach me to talk. I like those guys. I always know one day I'm coming here. United States. So where's your old man now? He dead. He died. Sometime. Somewhere. Mother? She dead too. What kind of work you do in Cuba, Tony? Ah, oh, you know, things. I was uh, this, uh, construction business. I work a lot with my aunts. Mm-hmm. I was in the army. Yeah. Any family in the States, Tony? Any cousins, brother-in-law, anybody? No, nobody. Nothing. Everybody stayed. You ever been in jail, Tony? Me? Jail? No, wait. No. Been
1: in a mental hospital?
0: Oh, yeah. And they both coming over.
1: What about homosexuality, Tony? You like men, huh? You like to dress up like a woman?
0: What the fuck is wrong with this guy? Am I you kidding me or what?
2: Just answer the questions, Tony.
0: Okay. No. Okay. Fuck no. Arrested? for vagrancy, marijuana, Never heroin, no, cocaine? No.
3: Where'd you get the beauty scar, tough guy? Eating pussy? I'm
0: not gonna get a scar like that eating pussy. This was when I was a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. You should see the other kid. Mm. You can't recognize him. And this? Oh, that's not it. That's who my sweetheart. Sweetheart my ass. We've been seeing more and more of these. Some kind of code these guys use in a can. Pitchfork means an assassin or something.
3: You want to tell us about it, Montana? Or do you want to take a little trip to the detention center?
0: Okay, you got me. I was in a can one time for buying dollars. A big deal. That's pretty funny, Tony. No, that's true. It was a Canadian tourist. Mm. What'd you do? Mug him first? Get him out of here. Come on. Let's go. Right, so I fucked up. Come on. Please. Let me talk to him, my man. You a communist. Huh? How do you like it? They tell you all the time what to do, what to think, what to feel. Do you wanna be like a cheap? Like all those other people, man? I don't have to oh. listen to this bullshit. Do you wanna work, eight, ten fucking hours? You own nothing? You got nothing? Do you want a chivado on every corner, man, looking after you, watching everything you do, everything you say, man? Do you know I eat octopus three times a day? I got fucking octopus coming out of my fucking ears, man. I got the fucking Russian shoes, my feet's coming through. How do you like that? What do you want me to, stay there and do nothing? Hey, I'm no fucking criminal, man. I'm no put of a thief. I'm Tony Montana, a political prisoner from Cuba, And I want my fucking human right, now. Just like the president, Jimmy Carter says, okay? Carter should see this human right. He's really good. What do you say, Harry?
3: I don't believe a word of this shit. They all sound the same to me. That son of a bitch Castro is shitting all over us. Send this bastard to Freedom Town. Let them take a look at him. Get, Get him out of you. here. You know
0: something? Hey. You can send me anywhere. Here, there, this town. It don't matter. There's nothing you can do to me that Castro has not already done. Get him out that- of here!
5: Cuban refugee and ex-convict Tony Montana arrives in Miami, Florida as part of the Mariel Boatlift where he is sent to a refugee camp with his best friend Manny Ray, played by Stephen Bauer, and their companions Angel and Chi-Chi.
6: Right away I'm like, Manny, good-looking guy, which is a key part of the movie, I'd say.
5: Tony Montana supposedly named after Joe Montana. That felt like one of those things that I couldn't possibly believe but i did find that out there okay (laughs) apparently oliver stone's favorite football player i see steven bauer who plays manny is the only cuban amongst the primary cast although i believe the actor that plays chi chi is cuban as well but he's not really considered the primary cast although he does make it to the end i guess because of de palma's collaborations with Travolta. John Travolta was a possibility for Manny, which would have meant even less Cuban presence in the film. (laughs) But thankfully that didn't happen. I don't know that you could have really pulled that off. That would have
6: been wild. I would have been interested to see that.
5: (laughs) Tony's got the distinctive scar across his eye. It's not really mentioned much in the film. I think the only time anyone even calls him Scarface is in Spanish. I believe. And during this opening interview scene at immigration, Tony's lying through his teeth. The actors' voices are dubbed in, not Pacino's, but the other guys, like Dennis Franz's voice, who often worked with De Palma, is dubbed in here, even though he's not in the scene. I think Charles Durning, his voice is dubbed in as well. I'm not really sure why. (laughs) I don't know what was going on, but they didn't use the actors who were actually there. It takes just a month for the criminal underworld to reach out to Tony with an opportunity for freedom. All four will be released and given green cards in exchange for murdering a former Cuban general at the request of Miami drug lord Frank Lopez. Tony happily accepts this offer.
6: Uh, He's only really, I guess, involved by chance, right? Well, Manny is the one that gets the offer.
5: Right. It seems like Manny already has some kind of a connection to somebody in okay. Miami. Yeah. Whereas Tony doesn't. He lies at the immigration place and says that both of his parents are dead, although we know that his mother is not. That's right. But it doesn't seem like he has any other connection to anything in America.
6: Also says he's octopus three times a day. That struck me.
5: <laughs> some text comes onto the screen. Miami, Florida, August 11th, 1980, UPI. Hundreds of Cuban refugees began rioting this morning at a detention center situated under Interstate 95 in North Miami, burning tents and attacking immigration and naturalization guards with pipes, sticks, and rocks. I was
6: thinking to myself that this is kind of wild, this detention center underneath a primary throughway.
5: Yeah, well, I guess space is limited. That's where they put it. Amidst all of the chaos, the murder is successfully carried out. And so, as is the case in movies like this, time sort of moves quickly and we jump to different situations. And now Tony and Manny are given work as dishwashers at a restaurant. But Tony remains dissatisfied, keeping an eye on the high rollers coming and going at the nightclub across the street.
6: Yeah, he does have this never-ending confidence and this feeling like whatever it is, he deserves that. Or why not him?
5: He's always dreaming of bigger and better things. And this plays into what I think Ebert was talking about, where you have to have an actor with an almost otherworldly bravado to make this believable. To have the audience understand that this guy that we're watching, even in the first 15 minutes of the film, is going to be the guy. He's going to be something. You can nitpick whatever you want about accents or... This or that about the performance, it's too crazy. But I definitely think that you believe it. You believe that this is that guy. I'd say so. That's the way that Pacino carries himself as Tony in the film.
1: que se cuenta, Waldo,
5: good to see you, Hey, this is my
1: friend Tony Montana, I've been telling you about. Tony, that's Omar Suarez, and that's Waldo Rojas over
0: there.
1: I got something for you. Yeah. What do we got to do? <laughs> got to unload a boat. Marijuana, 25 tons. You get 500-ish. 500 each. Mm. 500?
0: Eh? That's great. Eh? You got to be kidding. 500? Who do you think we are? Baggage handlers? The going rate on a boat is thousand 1,009, man. You know that.
1: First, you got to work your way up to 500. Pedro.
0: Okay, what I did for you guys in Freedom Town. What was that? That Rebenga hit was a game of dominoes or something. Man, that... that
1: was something else, Shut up, up man. shut up,
0: man. I... man take it
1: this. What's with this dishwasher, Chico. <laughs> don't you think we could've got some other space cadet to hit banger cheaper, dude? Fifty bucks.
0: Then why didn't you, man? And uh, Don't be calling me no fucking dishwasher, I've i to kick your fucking monkey man, ass. Man, the do that, man, your You're not gonna do that to man. Man. nobody. Come on, the man, fucks, man. man. You guys do oh, that,
1: man. Fuck Get in the Okay, okay. All right, big man. You want to make some big bucks? Let's see how tough you are. You know something about cocaine? Dígame. Are you kidding me or what? There's a bunch of Colombians coming in Friday. New guys. They say they got two keys for us for openers. Pure Coke, Hotel Mami Beach. I want you to go over there. And if it's what they say it is, you pay him and bring it back. You do that, you got five grand. Go pay and bring him back, yeah? You know how to handle a machine gun? Yeah, man. We were in the army in goa. You're going to need a couple other guys. That's no problem. We'll be at Hector's Bodega at noon Friday. You get to buy money there. And Chico. If anything happens to that buy money, eh, oversee! <laughs> My boss is gonna stick your heads up your asses faster than a rabbit gets fucked. I'm scared! Man, you're pushing your luck, okay? Oh, That was dumb, man. Hey that
0: ho, you worry too much, you know? You're gonna have a hard attack. You act like that guy doing your a favor.
1: What was this with the Colombians, man?
0: Eh? What does it matter?
1: What does it matter? He says Colombians, and you make these eyes, like, what? I don't like fucking
0: Colombians, okay? Hey, <laughs>
1: hey, hey, what you guys doing?
0: There's a lot of dishes to be washed. Wash them yourself, Frank. Right? I retire. What the fuck you gonna do there now?
1: Hey, look, I gotta look after my
0: investment. Fuck you guys,
1: man. Huh?
5: Frank makes contact through his right-hand man, Omar Suarez, played by F. Murray Abraham, who offers Tony and Manny a job and a pay rate that Tony finds insulting. Tony and Omar clash right away. You can tell there's an issue.
6: Sure. To be fair, a lot of people clashing with Tony at all times.
5: It depends. Some people immediately take to him, and the clash doesn't come till later. (laughs) (laughs) They like his spirit and his...
6: That's true. find it charming.
5: Yeah, they they think that he must be somebody that you have to take seriously. He's
6: got bravado.
5: But then that often comes back to... <laughs> Bite those people? Yeah, it becomes an issue later. But with Omar, it's a problem. Sensing an opportunity, Omar changes course and instead sends them on a bigger job to purchase cocaine from Colombian dealers. The day of the deal arrives and all four of the crew make the trip to the designated hotel, Tony, Manny, Angel, and Chi-Chi. Tony and Angel go inside while Manny and Chi-Chi wait in the car with the money. However, while Manny and Chi-Chi are distracted by a blonde in a blue bikini. (laughs) Yeah, you got
6: to give it to Manny. Really living the gimmick, being a good looking guy, never stopping his interest in women.
5: Tony and Angel are captured at gunpoint and what happens next is fucking nuts.
6: Dude, the first time I ever saw anything of this movie, it was this scene this sequence with the chainsaw, and I was like, holy shit. I had never seen anything like this.
5: Now, do you think the blonde in the blue bikini was part of it? Was she intentionally I
6: never took it to be that way.
5: I'm not really 100% sure. Sometimes the way that it's credited, we're going to talk a lot about this young lady in a minute. Because it's a secret true crime story. But when you see her credit on IMDb, it almost makes you think that She's, She's an, an accomplice? distraction or something. She probably doesn't know what's going on. But yeah. Somebody told her to go talk to these guys or something. I don't know. You never really find out. Yeah.
6: I guess I just take it that, look, they're in Miami. There's girls walking by. It's Manny. Yeah. It's going to be some girl he's going to be talking to.
5: The Columbians handcuff Angel to the shower curtain rod in the hotel room bathroom, and Tony is forced to watch Angel being dismembered with a chainsaw.
6: Rough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just... Not a great situation to be in.
5: Yeah. It's a cool motel, hotel, whatever it is, where you walk up those steps and yeah. there's just like a room by itself and then you walk up other steps and there's another room. It's like a very cool design.
6: It is, yeah. I don't well, really know how to explain it. I'm sure it's a fun place to this vacation. This is where you
5: definitely see a lot of the De Palma camera work. As right. It's moving back and forth from the car down on the street up yep. to the window and then it's almost as if the camera is going through the window but then doing a complete 180 and uh-huh. heading down the other way or whatever. Manny and Chi-Chi finally realize something's wrong and Ugh. come in for the save just as Tony is about to meet the same fate as Angel. Poor Angel. A bloody shootout ensues with Manny getting wounded, but the three of them manage to kill all of the Colombians, culminating with Tony executing the chainsaw wielder right on the street in broad daylight.
6: In front of a million people. In
5: front of dozens and dozens yeah. of witnesses. Chi-Chi grabs the coke and helps Manny get to the car, and they manage to flee the scene before the police arrive. So before we go any further, we're going to talk a little bit about this blonde in the blue bikini because it's one of those little weird true crime things that pops up from time to time. A young woman named Tammy Lynn Leppert portrayed the distraction at the lookout car in the blue bikini she had two other film credits spring break from 1983 and little darlings in 1980 and if you are someone that listens to a lot of true crime podcasts your ears may have perked up at the name because it's sort of a famous case she was an american beauty queen and model she had a few acting roles in the early 80s but mysteriously disappeared at the age of 18 wow very young yeah, her disappearance has generated much publicity, and her case remains open. In 1983, Leopard appeared as a female participant in a boxing match featured in the sex comedy *Spring Break*. Hmm. After the end of the film, shooting Leopard decided to party. She went unaccompanied to a weekend party, but reportedly had a disturbing experience there. After she returned home, Leopard started displaying signs of paranoia and persecutory beliefs. Okay. She was convinced that somebody would try to kill her and started taking precautions to prevent anyone from placing poison in her food and drink. Wow. Her last acting role was in a key scene of the crime drama film Scarface. Leopard reportedly displayed irrational behavior on the film set and was escorted to her home after the fourth day of filming. After she stopped working on Scarface, her mother became convinced that something was wrong with her. She arranged for Leopard to undergo a medical evaluation in a medical center. After staying there for 72 hours, Leopard was released. The examining doctor found no signs of drug or alcohol use, and she appeared to be physically healthy. On July 6, 1983, Leopard arranged for a male friend to drive her to an unspecified location. They argued during the drive, and the friend dropped her off at Cocoa Beach, Florida, not far from Leopard's residence. He was the last person to see her alive. She vanished without a trace, and the police and FBI started investigating her disappearance. As of the early 2020s, the investigative authorities have acquired a DNA profile of Leffert, but they do not have her dental records or fingerprints. They've theorized a bunch of different potential serial killers may have killed her, but the weird thing is that she was acting all paranoid and strange leading up to the disappearance. So yeah, to me, that seems almost too random to then conveniently be murdered by a serial killer after acting like that.
6: Yeah, that is strange, man.
5: Yeah. The reason it jumped out to me was because I think I stumbled on her IMDb before when I was watching the film Little Darlings.
6: Okay. When you listed those two movies, I was like, do you own both of those? (laughs) It just seemed like movies. I'm not
5: 100% sure I've seen Spring Break from 1983. Yeah. But when I was looking at this movie and then I was going through the credits and stuff and I saw that name, it jumped out to me and I was like, where do I know that from? And when I clicked on it, I was like, oh yeah, I've read all of this before. <laughs> Frank
1: Lopez, Tony Montana.
3: Hey, Tony Montana. Mr. Lopez, that's a real pleasure. If you call me Frank, everybody calls me Frank. My little league team. Even the fucking prosecutors around town, they all call me Frank. Okay, Frank. How are you? <laughs> Not Rivera. better. I hey, did come on on job. Yeah. went mm-hmm. right through. I heard about that. Omar, he tells me great things about you guys. Yeah. Yeah, well, Omar's okay. Not to mention, of course, the nice job you did for me. But Carmen
0: Song, a bitch of me, or a baby. Well, you don't have to mention that. That was fun. That was fun? All right. <laughs> that was
1: fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes fun.
3: Hey, what do you want to Scott, gin, rum. What do you like? Oh, gin, do? gin, is fine. Hey, I need a guy who's stealing his balls, Tony. Huh? A guy like you. And I need him around me all the time. You, Tony. And can competitor here.
0: This is tough. Two keys. It cost my friend Angel his life. Here's a mine. My gift to you.
3: I'm sorry about your friend, Tony. People would do business the right way. There would be no fuck-ups like this. Don't think I don't appreciate the gesture. You're gonna find you stay loyal in this business. You're gonna move up. You're gonna move up fast. Solomon! Solomon? And then you're going to find out your biggest problem is not bringing in the stuff. But what to do with all the fucking cash!
0: <laughs> I hope I have that problem someday.
3: You're going to have that problem, don't worry. Get that over here. <laughs> Where the hell's shall Ernie? Slade. Go find the will you? Jesus. Fucking broad. She spends half her life dressing. The other half... Undress.
1: <laughs>
3: gotta get her in between.
6: She's coming.
3: Yeah. You gotta jump on her when she's not looking. What's <laughs> the best thing? <laughs> and hey, what are you guys doing tonight? You want to go to a nice restaurant with me? You hungry?
0: Really?
3: I'm to eat a horse. Okay, they're going to cook you a horse. <laughs> yeah, <I> <laughs> Where? Tell me, where'd they get you? Right there on the
1: side? It's nothing, man. It went right through me, you. Know. Hit the wall. I ran out of bullets like an asshole. And while I'm standing, I changing the clip with a little motherfucker who I killed already, but was not that choppy. You know, the shot him? the guy was behind me. I killed him. How many bullets you've bullets It was nothing. What was so lucky was that chi came in at that time with his was bigger than him, who the fuck away, and I had already
3: Yeah, where the hell you been? It's ten o'clock, baby. I'm starving.
2: You're always hungry. You should try starving. Here you go.
3: Come on. Come over here. I want you to meet a friend of mine. Come on. Tony Montana. Here. Hello. Annie, Rivera. Ida.
4: So, there are five of us. Where are we having dinner?
3: I thought we'd go to the Babylon Club.
4: Again, you know, Frank,
2: if anyone ever wanted to assassinate you, you wouldn't be too hard to find.
3: Assassinate me? Who the hell would want to kill me? (laughs) I got nothing but friends.
2: You never know, do you? Maybe the catcher on your little league team.
3: The catcher? That son of a bitch didn't get a base in all season. I should kill (laughs) him.
5: Tony insists. That he and Manny personally deliver the recovered drugs and money directly to Frank. The suspicion, of course, is that Omar intentionally set them up. Robert Loggia as Frank Lopez. That's right. And he takes an immediate liking to Tony. So he kind of is the polar opposite of Omar, where he digs Tony's vibe right away. He's like, this is a guy I want on my side that I can use. That's right. Ambitious. Fearless,
6: I think he maybe overestimates how much he could manipulate Tony for his own use, though.
5: Well, I think, yeah, a lot of people do right. underestimate just how ambitious Tony is. Yeah, yeah, Tony's not going to be satisfied being the number two guy in Frank's organization,
6: no. And I'm thinking at this point, I'm Frank isn't thinking number two, I think he's just thinking this is just going to be like one of my guys. Well, yeah, at yeah. the
5: start, right. I'm saying, but that's the highest he could, yeah conceivably rise up. Right. And that's not going to be enough. Yeah. During this initial meeting, Tony becomes instantly attracted to Frank's young trophy wife, Elvira, played by a very young Michelle Pfeiffer. Sure. It's great, Elvira too, Hancock,
6: what a name.
5: Because of the way the house is and it has that elevator, which is glass, and so it is seriously alone by heart. starts playing. I know. Because... Frank and Manny and Omar are talking and then Tony is just staring up at this woman, (laughs) this beautiful woman coming down in the elevator. I know. Speaking of the
6: age of excess, it's like nice inconspicuous house.
5: (laughs) Completely normal house. (laughs) I love a, a house that there's zero comfort. I know. It's like a giant foyer that's not really a room. Right. You're almost like in a convention center. I know. With an elevator. (laughs) Very comfortable. Beautiful
6: blonde woman just coming down, seemingly wears a robe full time. She's just in like a bikini and a robe at all times.
5: Well, I think she's in a dress. Is she at this part? Yeah, because they're about to go out. Before Michelle Pfeiffer was cast as Elvira Hancock, Gina Davis, Carrie Fisher, and Sharon Stone unsuccessfully auditioned for the part, and actresses Rosanna Arquette, Melanie Griffith, and Kim Basinger turned it down.
6: I was going to say, I I could see Sharon Stone in this role, but I think I say that about every role.
5: Kelly McGillis and Sigourney Weaver were also considered. Initially, Al Pacino and director Brian De Palma did not want Pfeiffer to play Hancock as her only major film role up to that point had been a comedic role in the flop Grease 2. Pacino and De Palma instead wanted Glenn Close to play the role. But Martin Bregman fought for Pfeiffer's inclusion. I think it's the right choice overall. I think so. It is strange that Pfeiffer is in this movie because in my mind, she's really not famous until the late 80s into the 90s. I know. And this movie is so early on compared to a lot of other stuff.
6: Yeah, I didn't realize that she was not a star at this time. But like, Just because I hadn't put much thought into where this was chronologically for her career.
5: Yeah, well, it's at the beginning.
6: (laughs) I got it. I'm up to speed. Just hadn't thought a lot about it.
5: They all go to the Babylon Club, and Frank is clearly one of those guys that just loves to talk. Oh, I know. And he's got all kinds of thoughts and opinions and rules and different things he's willing to discuss because he's found a new audience in the person of Tony.
6: (laughs) Hey, look how cool I am. Look how rich I am. There's definitely a lot of that going on.
5: Frank gives him two lessons. Lesson number one, don't underestimate the other guy's greed. Mm. <laughs> which is something that Frank does, but also Tony does too. Right. Lesson number two, don't get high on your own supply. Tony will break both of these rules by the end of the film. Sure. Frank wants Tony and his guys to work for him. This is the opportunity that Tony's been waiting for, a foot in the door. But his attraction to Elvira already complicates things. When Frank won't dance with her at the club, Tony does instead.
6: I love when she asks if Frank wants to dance or have a heart attack, and he says, I think I'd rather have a heart attack.
5: (laughs) What's your name?
0: What? What's your name? ( concerts) Envira what? Hancock.
4: What? Hancock. Hancock?
0: Hancock? (laughs) You sound like a bird. Hancock. Flying around where you from? Baltimore. What? Baltimore. Baltimore? What's that? Look, it doesn't really matter, all right? I'm just trying to be friendly, you know? God,
2: I have enough friends. I don't need another.
0: Especially when I just got off a banana boat. Banana boat? Hold on, man. You got your wrong guy. I don't come off no banana boat, okay? Hey. You're thinking of someone else, buddy.
4: Aren't you part of the Cuban
0: crime, wave? What you talking crazy for, man? I'm a political refugee here, okay? So take it easy. Don't talk crazy. Sorry.
2: I didn't know you were so sensitive about your diplomatic
0: man. What is your problem, baby? You got a problem? You're good-looking. You got a beautiful body, beautiful legs, a beautiful face. All these guys in love with you, man. All you got a look in your eye like you haven't been fucked in a year.
4: Hey, Jose. Who I went and how I fuck is none of your business, okay?
0: Now you're talking to me, baby. That I like. Okay, keep it coming. Don't call
4: me baby. I'm not your baby.
0: Uh, not yet. Man. You gotta give me some time.
4: Even if I were blind, desperate, starved, and begging for it on a desert island, you'd be the last thing I'd ever fuck.
5: Yeah, Elvira is definitely the definition of. A trophy wife
6: uh-huh.
5: and she will ultimately become a trophy wife for tony as well there never seems to be much in the way of love or affection no. or anything going on there it
6: seems like a fairly soulless existence
5: yeah she's basically there for the drugs is what it boils down to That's sad
6: <laughs> it's a sad day folks you were saying earlier about how not a lot of this was filmed in miami and just Establishing shots, but I will say some great establishing exterior shots of these clubs and like restaurants and places they're hanging out.
5: Yeah, I'm not 100% sure if those shots would be in LA or not. I don't know. I'm thinking a lot of the coastal stuff and the city skyline yeah, yeah. stuff would be. Hanging.
6: I'm not sure where they are, but they definitely help with the overall vibe.
5: Yeah, it's definitely got its own sense of style and aesthetic that is very much a product of its time, very much emblematic of the excess of the 80s and all of that. But it endures in the way that when it gets reinvented or recycled into new things over the years, whether it's a video game like Vice City or whatever, it always has that flash of being cool. It gets played out, I think. And obviously, because of the popularity in the hip-hop community, a lot of music videos and stuff would be homages to this style i think that that's sort of died down i don't really know if this movie is as big with a younger generation now
6: yeah i mostly remember when they had the mtv crib show and people showed off their dvd collection like everyone had this <laughs> that's what i remember of it
5: i got scarface on repeat <laughs> <laughs> now can you
6: imagine as an adult and i know the answer for you is no as it is for me but these adults, like, going out and hanging at these dance clubs.
5: No. I mean,
6: Come on. If I was filthy rich, I would just get, like, a bigger TV and a bigger movie collection.
5: And a bigger bed. Yeah. And never leave. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's part of the business, though.
6: Yeah. You gotta rub elbows with the other people that are doing drugs.
5: Yeah, and you're putting a face on the organization, and you're establishing yourself as the go-to guy, and... That's where you meet and talk and whatnot. Plus, part of the appeal, I guess, is to act like you're having a great time, even if ultimately you'd rather have a heart attack than dance with your hot wife. <laughs> it's part of the perception of the role that you have in the society.
6: I think I must have wrote this down when Tony and Elvira are dancing, but I just wrote weird dance moves.
5: Yeah, the dancing is kind of strange, especially from Tony. <laughs> yeah, But I think... Having him be interested in Elvira right off the bat lets the audience in on the fact that Tony cannot be contained, and there's a certain that's right writing on the wall that you can read here about where this is heading. It's never going to be normal, no matter what Frank may think of him now,
6: because there should be this time period where he's trying to get in with Frank, and I mean, I guess. Shame on Frank for letting his guard down as much as he does as early as he does with Tony, but it's two seconds into the relationship and Tony's like, I gotta take this dude's wife.
5: There's a hardness and a recklessness in Tony that even Manny can't fully comprehend or appreciate. It seems like everyone underestimates what he wants and what he's capable of. His ambitions know no bounds. Tony says, me, I want what's coming to me. Manny says, and what's coming to you? The world, Chico, and everything in it. And now, we move ahead three months. Three <laughs> months later.
0: This is paradise, I'm telling you. This town like a great big pussy, just waiting to get fucked up. <laughs> I'm telling you, I should have come ten years ago. I'd have been a millionaire by this time. By this time, I'd have had my own boat, my own car, mm. my own of course. You know what I want? Thought of this the other day. A line
1: of blue jeans, right? With my name written on the back of chick's asses.
0: How that? Hmm? That's not a complete to me, man. <laughs> <laughs> look at that.
1: Look, 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 look. Look, you're missing all the sights. That's
0: what you're doing. We're we missing the action. Oh yeah! You wanna have some ice cream with my friend of me?
4: Get lost, please, Paul.
0: Look at that. Ice cream. Is that right? You said ice cream?
1: Girl like ice cream. Oh, come on, man. That's not going to work. You can't do it that way. I'm telling you. You know how you pick up chicks in this country?
0: What the fuck was that? What you just did? That's it. That's what you do. That is disgusting. Watch. Oh, look at that fucking thing. That looks like a lizard. Like a bug coming out of your mouth. <laughs> I
1: figured she wouldn't understand. But the women in this country, when you do that, they know. They know what? They understand. They they, they. go crazy. It's going to take a lot of practice, but you got to learn. Because women love when you flop the pussy. Look at that. Ay,
0: coño. coño. She's looking at herself, too. Mira eso. Go ahead. You think you can do it with her? I think I can do it with her. You wanna try with her? Why not? You gonna watch her? I'm looking at you.
3: Quiet.
0: You're not gonna do it. Watch this. Come on. Okay, I'm with you, man. I'm gonna get her. I'm gonna get her. Go ahead, Romeo. Do your thing. Just be quiet. Just hang back. Romeo.
2: You're looking very pretty today.
0: Yes, you. I've been watching from over there. You wanna see something funny? Hey, take a look over there. You see that man there? Watch that guy. I gotta stand him. I gotta watch my friend here. He gonna stick his tongue out to that girl. Oh, look at that. Hey, oh, Yo! You're sick! You see what happened to him? Hey! Hey, you know, if I was not a nice guy, I'd come
1: out. Come on, come on. get no, you know? to
0: pay for you. Come on. Cause he's oh, trouble me. like that. Come on. Bitch. what I try to tell you? Lesbian. what I try to tell you? This country, you got to make the money first. Then when you get the money, you get the power. Then when you get the power, then you get the woman. That's why you got to make your own moves.
5: So Tony and Manny do jobs for Frank, start making a little money and begin their ascent. Tony takes every opportunity he can to hit on Elvira, even going so far as to buy a Porsche to impress her. When she goofs on his gaudy Cadillac, he even tries to kiss her and she resists. But it does seem at times like he's wearing her down. They actually left in an improv that made Pfeiffer laugh. And so it seems like it's still in character when he grabs her hat and puts it on in the car. Oh, yeah. She starts laughing. That was like real because he just improv that. And it does seem
6: out of character for him.
5: But De Palma thought that it indicated her softening a little bit. Yeah. And how the relationship would evolve and, and he you know, be making some headway. Tony
6: Montana, when that door is open a little bit.
5: We're about 50 minutes into the film when Tony finally uses cocaine on camera for the first time. Obviously, you would assume he's been doing it all along, but we finally actually see him do it. So the cocaine use in the film is the stuff of legend on its own. There's long (laughs) been a myth that Pacino snorted real cocaine on camera. However, the cocaine used in the film was supposedly powdered milk, even if De Palma has never officially stated what the crew used as a drug stand-in. Some people say it's a mix of baby laxative, and I was thinking, well, wouldn't that still make you want to shit or something? I would think, yeah. But whatever it was, it created problems for Pacino's nasal passages... For years after I've had things up there, Pacino said in 2015, I don't know what happened to my nose, but it's changed. <laughs> it definitely affected him, whatever he was snorting wow. the whole time.
6: Man, I would have thought there was a way to do this that didn't involve actually snorting something.
5: No, I think even in modern stuff, they are snorting like B12 or some oh, shit. Wow. And okay. even when you do a lot of Vitals, that, it can yeah. like hurt your nose and stuff. Yikes. Later, Tony visits his mother... Played by Miriam Colon and younger sister Gina.
6: Yeah, not quite a warm welcome for Tony, huh?
5: Played by Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio. So right away, Tony is a little too overprotective of his sister, really. And there are some weird vibes. Yeah. Even when you don't know where this is headed. The
6: score for- It jumps out. This is the first time it's kind of like this when he shows up at the house. But it's kind of like becomes the theme- I feel like for his sister, like the love theme or something. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of reminds me of, I don't know, like David Lynch, Laura Palmer stuff when she's like a harmonic angel or whatever. I don't know. Very mystic.
5: Miriam Colon was actually only four years older than Pacino, playing his mother here. Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio, this was her breakout role, too. She would not really carry on as much past the 80s, but she had a pretty solid career going in the 80s she was in the abyss and the color of money and Mm -hmm. stuff like that but mama sees through Tony right away his gifts his flashy clothes she knows the truth even if Gina doesn't want to see it
6: she's not in on this
5: Tony's mother is disgusted by his life of crime and throws Tony out of her house Gina runs outside to hug Tony goodbye and Manny gets a look at her and starts getting ideas (laughs) but Tony warns him to stay away obviously by the end of this film we're gonna get more into the relationship between tony and his sister and
6: what the hell is going on here
5: it's such a weird wrinkle thing to throw into this movie i know
6: but it's really a key element
5: so mama
4: is still working in the factory and i'm working part-time in a beauty parlor i'm doing hair tony you remember Irán González, his father, owned that uh, barbershop? It's his place. Plus, mm-hmm. I go to junior college, Miami-Dade. And in two more years, I get my cosmetology license. And then, oh, then I'll be making enough money Surprise. To
0: out... All that's over. starting today. Why? My kids' sister don't have to work in no beauty parlor. And Mama, she don't have to sew in no factory. Just some maiden, Mama. It's a success. That's why I didn't come around before you. I want you to see what a good boy I've been. It's $1,000 for you, Mama.
4: Who did you kill for this, Antonio?
1: Mama?
4: I didn't kill nobody, Mama. No? No. What are you doing now? Banks? Or is it still bodegas, you on the
0: others? No, things are different now. I'm working with an anti-Castro group. I'm an organizer now. And I get a lot of political contributions. Sure you do. A gun sticking in somebody's face. So, you
4: know? All we hear about in the papers is animals like you and the killings. It's Cubans like you who are giving a bad name to our people. People who come here and work hard and make a good name for themselves. People who send their children to school. Mama, Mama, pay please, please. What are you saying? That's your son. Son! I wish I had one. He's a bum. He was a bum then and he's a bum now. Who do you think you are? Hmm? We haven't heard a word from you in five years. Cinco años. You suddenly show up here and throw some money around and think you can get my respect. You think you can buy me with jewelry? Oh, come on, Mama. No. You think you can come into my house with your hotshot clothes and your jail manners and make fun of us? Mama, you don't know what
0: you're talking about.
4: No, that's not the way I am, Antonio. Hmm? That is not the way I raised Gina to be. You are not going to destroy her. I don't need your money. Gracias. I work for my living. I don't want you in this house anymore. I don't want you around Gina. Get out. Your blouse is mine with you. It stinks. Tony,
3: hey, why do you have to spoil it for everybody, huh? I'm sorry, Tom. Okay.
0: Okay, mama.
4: Can you see? Oh, no, no, Tony, wait! A no, Gina! please, Gina, I'm stay there. here! No, 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 no. no. It's no Tony, it's no go! Tony, wait, Gina. please!
1: I'm sorry. I don't know, Mama. Ever since Papa left, she's...
3: Forget
0: Papa. We never had one.
4: Look, Tony, I know you did some bad things back then. You know, in the army, I know you got to some trouble.
0: You know, the communists, they're always trying to tell you what to do.
4: You know? Mama doesn't understand that.
0: I know.
1: I just... I don't know. I just want you to know.
4: You know, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me how long you've been away. Five years or ten years. You're my blood. Always. I oh, know. I oh, know. Come on. <sighs> Come on. No, I got to yes. No, Tony, Tony, please. Tony. Come on. What am I no. going to tell her?
0: You take that. You don't tell her anything. You don't tell i give it to you, but give us some from time to time, okay? And listen, you go out, You go out yourself, you know? Go ahead, go out, have to do some things. Have some fun. You gotta get some fun out of life. <laughs> You're gonna beat yourself to death at 19? Pussycat like you. <laughs> mm. Okay, I talk to you again. Okay. All right? Put that money away. Don't let us see it.
4: I'll talk to her, okay?
0: okay? Talk to you. Okay. Okay, let go. She's beautiful. How come you. Hey! Stay away from her. You hear? She's not for you. Okay.
5: Frank sends Tony and Omar to Cocobamba, Bolivia, to meet with cocaine kingpin Alejandro Sosa, who is based on a real person, Roberto Suarez, the real-life Bolivia drug lord. During the meeting, Omar becomes increasingly irritated as Tony hijacks the negotiations.
6: Just uh, interjecting.
5: Making a huge deal without Frank's approval. However, Sosa has his men hang Omar from a helicopter, telling Tony that Omar was actually a police informant and that Frank has poor judgment in addition to a questionable operation. Admittedly, though, Tony doesn't seem too broken up about it. We know that him and Omar have clashed. That's right. And
6: Tony voices it that the whole scene where Tony's friend dies by a chainsaw may have been a little bit of a setup by our friend here. And it it does feel that way?
5: Yeah. I think the cool thing about Scarface is there's a quickness and callousness to this violence. You have this young guy named Angel just living his life, doing a seemingly normal drug deal. The next thing you know, he's being cut up by a chainsaw. How did you get there so fast? (laughs) Then... Omar, pretty big deal in this organization, comes down to Bolivia, has no idea there's any danger around the corner. Next thing you know, he's being hung out of a helicopter.
6: Right, and he's being told that he's going to be helicoptered to, like, I don't know, somewhere that is then going to be a five-hour flight to Miami. It's like, all right, I guess i got to enjoy some nice luxury travel, then just thrown from a helicopter and hung.
0: Hey, sauce. Let's get this straight now. I never fucked anybody over in my life. Didn't have a come to. you got that? All I have in this world is my balls and my word, and I don't break them for no one, do you understand? That piece of shit up there, I never liked him. I never trusted him. For all I know, he had me set up and had my friend Angel Fernandez killed, but that's history. I hear he's not. Do you want to go on with me to say it? If you don't, then you make a move.
2: I think you speak from the heart, Montana. But I say to myself, this Lopez, your boss, the chivatos like that working for him. His judgment stinks. So I think to myself, how many other mistakes has this low guy made? How can I trust this organization? You tell me, Tony.
0: Frank is smart. You know? You can't blame him for that animal. And it's a crazy business we're in, you know? And that could happen to anyone, even you. Why don't I go back and talk to Frank? I work it out. I fix things between us. You got my word on that.
2: Think you and me, we can work this thing out? We do business together a long time. Just remember, I only tell you one time. try to fuck me.
5: Tony ultimately decides to vouch for Frank's organization and this seems to placate Sosa who has taken a liking to Tony. Well,
6: oh, but do not fuck me, Tony.
5: Together, the two of them agree to a deal without checking with Frank and Sosa warns Tony to never betray him. Omar's unexpected death and the size of the deal with Sosa complicate things at home between Tony and Frank.
6: Yeah, Frank I guess he does kind of just go along with this. Now he's definitely upset, and he does bring up a good point, which is Sosa just says that he's an informant.
5: Yeah, what is? Where is this proof? What is it based on? He just says it, and that's it. Although, in all fairness to Tony, what's he gonna do? No, I know. Do anything. It's clear that Tony's ambition is outgrowing Frank's world, and it's also clear that Tony cannot be reined in, and a clash is inevitable.
6: He's signing up for deals that Frank doesn't have the money for. And Tony's just like, okay, so you don't have the money. A million here, a million there.
5: I'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Frank warns Tony about Sosa, and ultimately everything that he says about Sosa will turn out to be true. But Tony is in no mood for speed bumps. It's sort of a little convoluted, what here, so. What happens yeah. here. Because it's never really explicitly clear If Tony is still working for him now in the next, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of the movie, it's kind of confusing. To me, it seems like there is a little bit of a parting of the ways, essentially, here. But Tony still lingers around in the hopes of getting FaceTime with Elvira when she's sitting out alone by the pool. No Frank in sight. Tony makes his pitch.
0: You just missed Frank. Oh, yeah? Too bad. Only I didn't come to see Frank.
4: This is not the time or the place, Tony. Next time, make an appointment first.
0: That's okay. I got something important I want to talk to you about. Okay? So why don't we have a couple of drinks? Act normal. Just take it easy. Come on, I like scotch.
2: Sure, why
0: not? Okay, I won't buy you.
2: We're all normal here. I heard you and Frank aren't working together
0: anymore. That's right. I think it's easier, don't you? Makes things easier. Uh, Thank you. This to the land of opportunity.
4: For you, maybe.
0: You like kids? Kids? Kids, you know, kids, little kids. Sure, why not? As long as there's a nurse. Good. Because I like kids, too. I like boys cross. No matter what.
2: Look, Frank's gonna be back any minute.
0: Wait. I want to talk to you. Come on, sit down. I'm not going to bite you. Okay, here's the story. I come from the gutter. I know that. I got no education, but that's okay. I know the street, and I'm making all the right connections. With the right woman, there's no stopping me. I could go right to the top. Anyway, what I gotta tell you is this. I like you. I like you the first time, I laid I saw you. I say, she's a tiger. You belong to me. And I went, I want you to marry me. What are you going to do about it, Frank? Frank is not going to last, okay? He finished. Just think about it. Okay? I want you to really think about it. Okay? I go, now. Take
5: care. Tony's asking her to marry him <laughs> and have kids with him and this whole thing. And she's like, I'm married to Frank. Yeah, what, what about Frank? Like? But... She's no dummy. Yeah, I know. She gets what he's saying that is going to happen, and she's just sort of like, okay. He's making it kind of obvious about what he thinks will happen to Frank soon. Yeah. Next up, we have a big-time De Palma-style club scene with a lot going on, a lot of moving pieces. First of all, Mel Bernstein, played by Harris Yulin, a corrupt police detective on Frank's payroll, a cost Tony at the club, attempting to extort money from him in return for police protection. However, Tony's distracted because he's spotted Gina dancing with some guy and it's driving oh, no. him fucking crazy. <laughs> Cannot stop
6: looking at it.
5: Yes, his sister. Yeah. No, at this point it's not anything salacious. It's not a big deal and you're wondering what the fuck is going on. <laughs> because when he first walks into the club and sees Gina, it's Sort of like that sound effect from Kill Bill, where it's like, wah, 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 wah. it's like so loud, like a siren is playing.
6: It's zooming in on his face. I know, and then he's laser focused on her.
5: Who's this guy? And Manny is telling him to not worry. He's about nobody. It. Who cares? He's a loser. Yeah. Frank and Elvira arrive as well. It's all happening. We've got tension. We've got confrontation. But ultimately, Frank backs down and leaves, although we'll know why shortly. On the surface, you're thinking, okay, Frank just made himself look like a giant pussy, but I guess he had a plan already in motion. Things then escalate further when Tony sees the guy that Gina was dancing with put his hand on her ass, and then the two of them go to the bathroom to do coke. Mm. Which, okay, maybe taking your sister to the bathroom to do drugs is something worthy of getting upset about. I still don't even think the guy putting his hand on her ass is a big deal. I mean, what are you doing, dude? Calm down. But, okay, so he flips out. The guy runs off, kind of gets off scot-free. I kept thinking that they would go back to that guy eventually and kill him or something, but doesn't he just run away and that's it?
6: Yeah, well, Tony gets Gina.
5: Tony slaps Gina, making a big scene in the men's room. Horrifying. Manny takes her home, and this leads to a fun conversation between Manny and Gina. He's trying to maintain the company line. Yeah. Like, look, Gina, you can't be (laughs) doing... You know, (laughs) doesn't really even believe it, but he's just going along with what Tony would say, but she starts teasing him back. How come you don't take me out? I see the way you look at me, and Manny's getting all flustered. (laughs) He doesn't know what to do. (laughs) What are you afraid, she wants to know. Meanwhile, back at the club... Tony's almost out of it, seemingly. Just so dazed, sitting alone. Two hitmen are biding their time to strike, seemingly waiting for the perfect moment, and then completely botching it so bad (laughs) that I can't even wrap my mind around it. They're waiting and they're passing up all of these great opportunities to do it, and then they wait until that guy in that giant stomach suit thing is near him and in the way
6: by the way i was like man the entertainment at this club stinks
5: richard belzer (laughs) doing his horrible shtick doing like folks jokes right (laughs) and then this guy dancing around like with a big stomach and they wait until that guy is like in the way
6: right and then there's like a spotlight moving around and it's like landing on tony
5: They attempt to kill Tony, but he escapes with just a bullet wound. It does seem like he maybe kills them or at least incapacitates them. It's sort of like in The Sopranos, though, when they bring over a guy from Italy to do a job. These guys are not consequential. They're just random guys. Tony immediately rallies his troops, and they go to confront Frank and Bernstein, certain it was they who orchestrated the attack.
6: Yeah, well, Tony's got a little bit of a plan here, right, to give Frank away?
5: Yeah, which I'm not even really sure what the point of that even is. What does that even accomplish?
6: The way it's set up, it's as if Tony's not 100% sure that it's Frank. Right. And then this phone call confirms it.
5: Somehow. (laughs) Which I'm not 100% sure how it does. Because he, Because he pretends it's Elvira and he doesn't tell the truth. Because Frank's
6: not surprised by the statement, we fucked up, he got away. Yeah. And Frank pretends that it's Elvira that he's talking to. So
5: Tony goes out on a limb and assumes that Frank was expecting a call to confirm, and then...
6: Yeah. That's the way it's set up. All
5: Frank knows is that this call is real. Okay, Yeah, I get it, but it just doesn't even seem necessary. No, I
6: agree with you. I know.
5: (laughs) Yeah, because Frank is trying to blame these Diaz brothers that we never see. (laughs) Well, that's the
6: thing. Do you actually believe that Tony's in a position that he would give the benefit of the doubt to Frank at this point? I don't at all. Yeah. As soon as this happens, he's like, it's Frank, and I don't even give a shit if it wasn't
1: because I want his wife anyway. It
5: seems like he was going to take any opportunity anyway, so why not take this opportunity? Because it doesn't even seem that hard. I know. Tony and Manny and some of his guys, they just walk right into this place, Frank's auto dealership, whatever the front is, and they just get the jump on him like it's nothing. There's no real work to be done.
3: I bet it was the G.S. Brothers. They got beef going back to the sun, right?
5: Maybe you're
0: right, you know? Maybe you're right. Anyway, I, I'm glad you made it, Tony. We'll return the favor for you, spades! No, I take care of this myself. What do you say, for, Tony? What? Nothing. I, I just say, Panoi. You're going to her, Frank? It must be Elvira. She got mad after we left the club, you know. I tell her you're not here, okay? No, it's all right. Shit. Come on, Tony, what are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about, you fucking cockroach. What are you talking about? Come on, you listen to me, huh? Do you know what a horse is, Frank? That's a pig that don't fly straight. Neither do you, Frank. Hey, Tony,
3: why the fuck would I hurt you? I brought you, in, So we had a few differences, huh? No big deal. I came to your start. I was
0: the one who believed in you. I stayed loyal to you. I made what I could on the side, but I never turned you, Frank. Never. For you. A man ain't got his word. It's a cockroach.
3: Mm-hmm. Want to do something, will you?
2: It's your tree, Frank. You're sitting in it.
0: Okay. Alright, Tony. I was the one. This you give me a second chance,
3: is that, Tony? You, you do that, please. I, you can, you give me a second chance. I give, you, I give you ten million dollars, Tony. Okay, ten million dollars. I got it involved over there in Spain, Tony. We go, we go over there. We get on a plane, and it's yours. Okay. What? Ten million dollars. Okay, Tony. Huh? Please, Tony. Elvira. Elvira, you want Elvira? You're going to have her. I go away, I'm going to disappear, Tony. You'll never see me again, Tony. Please, I don't want to die. I never did nothing to nobody. I never...
0: No, 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 you never did nothing to you know, nobody. Know, right. You had somebody else do it for no, me. No, Tony, come on, Get no. Jesus! Get out!
2: No! Oh, God!
0: Oh, no, don't kill me, please. Oh, I won't kill you. Oh, Christ, thank you. Get up. Thank you. you. Manolo, shoot that thank piece you. of shit. No, 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 no!
5: Frank confesses his involvement at gunpoint and begs for his life, but Tony has Manny shoot him dead before proceeding to kill Bernstein. Ernie over there, sweating bullets, <laughs> gets a job. <laughs> so this is a hostile takeover. It's a power grab. Elvira is offered at one point by Frank, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, desperate Elvira work. is claimed by Tony. Doesn't seem like she ever has any real agency. She's not really the strongest female character no, we've ever sorted, seen. No, it's sort
6: of, well, this is where I go now. This is the next logical destination.
5: Yeah, and they're about to get married in an upcoming montage. So,
6: Did she seem that broke up over the Frank No.
5: Death? <laughs> we touched on this before. There's no real intimacy shown between Tony and Elvira. Never. Even during the montage, which includes their wedding, they do kiss, but it's so clearly and specifically a Hollywood kiss where uh-huh. you can't actually see their lips touching because of the way they turn.
6: Yeah, like I said, there's more romantic chemistry between Tony and Sosa.
5: Yeah, and... It makes you realize that Elvira as a trophy wife is just another acquisition. That's right. property to- Just
6: another step along the way.
5: Show his standing, show his wealth. He's basically following a guide in his head that he thinks will make him reach the top. And he thinks that he needs to have kids with her too, which never happens. But when he goes to get Elvira after killing Frank, he sees that blimp for- Pan American Airlines that says the That's world right. is yours. I know. That sort of becomes his motto. Yeah,
6: he'll have it built on like statues later.
5: It leads into the traditional success montage. The song playing is called Scarface Push It to the Limit.
6: That's right. Push it to the limit.
5: Tony becomes the distributor of Sosa's product, and the cash starts flowing in insane amounts of money. Tony builds a multi-million dollar business empire, including a salon for Gina, Montana Travel, <laughs> Montana Real Estate, all these that's different the thing. things. I know.
6: When I was thinking about Gina's business, I don't know. Do you really think she knows what she's doing with hair?
5: It doesn't matter. He's got to try to clean this money. No,
6: I know, but that's the thing. It had me thinking about all these small well, wasn't businesses. was she going
5: to college for cosmetology? He also marries Elvira... <laughs> it's We always are on the same page. My note, no one seems to be broken up about Frank's <laughs> untimely demise. Not even mentioned. Yeah, people have moved on real quick. <laughs> he was like that guy in Dawn of the Dead. They just buried him right in the mall. <laughs> Tony has a tiger. Tony also constructs a large, heavily guarded estate. And the drug usage is also increasing dramatically. I tried to write my thoughts a little bit on Tony's home. I just put gaudy, vulgar, flashy in an embarrassing way. I know it stinks it's so over the top that it screams someone who has money but no class. It just <laughs> it's embarrassing, yeah, really. I know that Tony is supposed to have millions of dollars at this point, but I would be embarrassed to live in that house. I would be like, this is horrible. I'd say so. But with money and success comes paranoia. He's got the security cameras. They're always talking about the Diaz brothers, who I guess are rival drug dealers in the era.
6: I know. It's actually kind of like disappointing that that doesn't become more of the story.
5: He's always worried about the cops and having to pay off cops or cops in the area. Everyone out to fuck him at all times. Oh, yeah.
6: Paranoia at an all-time high now.
5: Constant marital tension with Elvira.
6: That's the thing. Like With some of these stories, these where it's like a rise from drug trade or whatever, but there's like generally this period of fun where it's like, oh, I've hit success, but I don't know. That's never really yeah, on display here. it happens here.
5: so fast because, as we're going to get to shortly, the downfall starts in 1983. Yeah. He was on a fucking boat coming here in 1980. Right. And he's already going to hit the peak and start going down. Yeah. But he's got the tension with Elvira. They're fighting all the time. Tension with Manny now. He doesn't seem to even trust him anymore. Tony's got this obsession with money. It's money this, money that. That's it. That's all that matters. And there's that pretty famous scene where he's in that giant tub (laughs) watching the TV. Yeah, yeah. Which they parody pretty well in Back to the Future Part 2 and other things. But the thing that was kind of skeeving me out was it's this giant tub filled with soap water, like a bubble bath type situation. It's surrounded by carpet. I know. So that carpet's going to get wet.
6: And be gross. And moldy and
5: mildewy. It's disgusting. (laughs) It's so impractical. It's not money
6: well spent. In
5: 1983, as I mentioned, things start going wrong. A money laundering sting operation by federal agents results in Tony being charged with tax evasion and facing a prison sentence with his lawyers not really able to assist him in the way that he wants. Tony instead has to turn to Sosa. Sosa agrees to use his government connections to keep Tony out of prison, but only if Tony helps in the assassination of an activist who is running around exposing Sosa's drug operations. Tony agrees to the deal. And then things come to a head during a dinner at an upscale restaurant. Basically, Tony openly blames Manny for causing his arrest (laughs) because Manny was the one who wanted to work with this other bank.
6: Well, it's like, how long have you been holding this back?
5: Well, Manny's the one that starts pushing this other guy. True, true. Because the bank they have been working with wants to charge more interest and all this different stuff. Whatever they're charging, it's a higher percentage now. That's right, yeah. There's too much risk involved or whatever. Manny starts bringing up this other guy. It turns out to be not legitimate. It's a sting. It's too good to be true. Yeah, I got to Instead tell of 10% you, or 9% or whatever, this guy's like 4%. It's like, well, don't you think that sounds too good to be true?
6: Did you get a look at this clock that they got the hidden camera in?
5: Yeah.
6: <laughs> I mean, dead giveaway?
5: <laughs> yeah, there's no 12. Yeah. And then Tony starts taking out his anger on Elvira, who he calls an infertile junkie. Oh,
6: boy. Polluted with, womb or something like that.
5: <laughs> which prompts Brutal. her to leave him. It's an enormous scene they're making at this restaurant throwing drinks shouting getting up yelling at each other they're in this fancy restaurant
6: <laughs> what a scene
5: at one point <laughs> at one point elvira is complaining about her life and how she can't do anything and she has no friends or whatever and she's like i have nick the pig as a friend <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking oh man nick the pig buried <laughs> <laughs> this is the bad guy speech Which was a big influence on the Scott Hall, Razor Ramon character, by the way.
2: So what's the big mystery with the Bolivian situation?
1: You gonna tell me what happened with Sosa or what?
0: A lot of bullshit. That what happened. Politics. Okay. I want you to to stay down here for a while. Run things for me. So I gotta go to New York next week. Okay.
3: Fuck this. I don't like it, man. I don't like this at all. You okay? don't like
0: it? You? Okay. You're the one that got me into this mess in the first place. You know that? Oh, yeah? Yeah, with that fucking cider bomb. Is that right? With cider bomb, Man, what, what does cider bomb have to do with salsa? Eh? How do you connect those two? Why are not you eat your food? What's
2: I'm not hungry.
0: You're not hungry? You even know about the trial? What did you order it for?
2: I lost my appetite.
1: You even know that chef say he can get you a postcard? Eh?
0: This is This what it's all about, Manny. Eating, drinking, fucking, sucking... Come on. Snoring. That one. That one. That one. You're 50, you got a bag for belly, you got fits you need a bra. They got hair on them. You got a liver. They got spots on it, and you're eating this fucking shit. And you're looking like these rich fucking mummies in there. Oh, it's not so bad. Could be worse, you know. This what it's all about. Okay. Okay. This what I work for. Go. Go on. Look at that. Junkie. I got a fucking junkie for a wife. Don't eat nothing. Sleeps all day with them black shades on. Wakes up with a quailu. Don't think and who won't fuck me because she's in a coma. I can't even have a kill with her, man. Her womb is so polluted. I can't even have a fucking little baby with her.
1: You bitch. You
4: How oh, dare you, know? you, right. you talk right. to me like that? What makes you so much better than me? So what do you do? You right, do okay. you deal drugs? And you kill people? Oh, that's wonderful, Tony. Real contribution to human history. Go ahead. So
0: tell everybody. Come
4: on. You want a kid? Tell the world. What kind of a father do you think you are? Dad, come on, Dad, come on! Are you going to drive him to school in the mornings? Are you even going to be alive by the time the kid goes to school? You don't even know how to be a husband. Sit on the couch. We are not together without Abby. You have your thugs hanging around all the time.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, okay. I have Nick,
4: the pig, as a friend.
0: Go up there.
4: What kind of life is that? What were we coming to? We're losers. We're not winners. We're
0: losers. Come on, you're stone.
4: I'm not stone. You're
0: stone. Okay, get around. No. Come on, come on. No. I'm not going home with you.
4: I'm not going home with anybody.
3: Let her go, let her
0: go, man. Another Quailooch, you're gonna love me again. we are you looking at? You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say that's the bad guy. So? what I make you? Good? You're not good. You just know how to hide. How to lie. Me, I don't have that problem. Me, I always tell the truth. Even when I lie. So say goodnight to the bad guy. Come on. The last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell
5: you. I found it kind of surprising that Elvira exits the picture here and does not return. I know. That's it. She really meant it. She just doesn't strike me as the type of lady that really means it. But she really meant it. I'm out of here. It's sort of like
6: when Selena Gomez leaves Spring Breakers.
5: (laughs) it's hard to recover
6: (laughs) yeah you're just like wow i can't believe she's not gonna be in the movie anymore
5: yeah not to strap on our sexism helmets too Uh hard here but man what a beautiful woman totally pfeiffer yeah has always been
6: i know (laughs) i definitely feel (laughs) i know though somehow like in this world i don't know you're like nick the pig or whatever like you're somehow elvira's friend and i'm like You're even, like, weirder friend that, like, she won't even be friends with. But we're invited to the wedding, and we just, like, can't stop talking about Frank.
5: Ultimately, we're fed to the tiger. (laughs) (laughs) Like,
6: remember she was married to this other dude, and this guy worked for him
5: last week? Yeah, what's going on? (laughs) This feels suspicious. Yeah, there's almost zero police investigation of any murder in this movie. Yeah, yeah. They're only concerned with busting them for drugs, and it's like, well, they're killing a lot of people, too. (laughs) Yeah. In order to fulfill his end of the deal with Sosa, Tony travels to New York City to carry out the assassination with Sosa's henchman, Alberto, nicknamed Shadow. People would recognize this guy from Breaking Bad, things like that. Oh, yeah. Shadow plants a radio-controlled bomb under the activist's car. However, in the daylight when Tony, Shadow, and some of Tony's guys plan to carry out the killing the activist is unexpectedly accompanied by his wife and children
6: weird moment of morality for tony
5: prompting a troubled tony to attempt to call off the hit they follow the car anyway and shadow refuses to back down fully intending to go through with it anyway but tony can't bring himself to be a part of it and shoots shadow in the head before he can detonate the bomb i love that they just <laughs> he just shoots this dude His blood and brains all over the window of the car. They're in like a busy New York City street in the (laughs) middle of the day. (laughs) No one's noticing this apparently. Yeah, it is a a moment of conscious from a character that seems sociopathic at times. But he has a limit, I guess.
6: I don't know. He has some sort of sentimental feeling towards family.
5: Yeah, something that he was unable to accomplish with Elvira. Something that he has a weird relationship with his own family. Yeah. I don't know. When Tony returns to Miami, it's a shitstorm. Everything is unraveling all at once. Sosa is enraged, promising retribution for allowing the activist to give his speech at the UN. Furthermore, the bomb was discovered under his car, and he now has increased security, making him untouchable. Tony's mother keeps calling. Gina's disappeared, and she needs Tony to go find her. Coincidentally, Manny's also MIA. Elvira, still not calling. No, (laughs) He keeps asking if Elvira's (laughs) calling. No, not calling.
6: Zero calls received.
5: Coke usage up significantly. I'd say so. Just Just, burying his face in piles of cocaine.
6: Just all spread across the table.
5: At his mother's behest and provided with an address from her, Tony tracks down Gina and finds her with Manny. He disappears into one of those Gina-related blind rages and shoots Manny dead. Shocking. Only for Gina to run down the stairs to reveal that she and Manny had married just yesterday. Yeah. And were going to surprise Tony.
6: I got to tell you, I don't think that he would have reacted well to that surprise. I don't think that that would have made it better.
5: Well, yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> Do what you they're that sense? kind of going for is the idea that marrying her is different than trying to fuck her. And sure. That's a different thing. But yeah. Does I, Tony but... seem like he enjoys surprises of any kind? No. <laughs> Obviously, they were ha- going to have to work up to some way of telling him, Yeah, but it all blew up in their face. <laughs> I would like it if he was just like, well, don't I feel like a horse's ass <laughs> as Manny's laying there dying?
6: <laughs> it was just an honest time you were just having up there.
5: Tony basically goes catatonic. Mm-hmm. His men grab Gina, and they all return to his estate. Tony escapes into a massive cocaine binge.
6: I was about to criticize sort of what goes on with his home security here, but they point out earlier that Manny, head of security, no longer in the picture, so everyone else just complete dopes.
5: Yeah, plus who knows how good they were anyway. They're being overrun here. It's so many guys. Dude, I know. Sosa's men surreptitiously begin to invade the grounds, killing all of Tony's guards.
6: But there's a lot of guys that get snuck up on initially.
5: Steven Spielberg and De Palma had been friends since the two began making studio films in the mid 70s and they made a habit of visiting each other's sets. Spielberg was on hand for one of the days of shooting the Columbians initial attack on Tony Montana's house at the end of the film. So De Palma let Spielberg direct the low angle shot where the attackers first enter the house. So yes, there's one shot in the film directed by Spielberg. Huh? Sosa's men have fully breached the perimeters and are seemingly running amok, primed to make their move, when Gina enters Tony's office Mm. and accuses him of wanting her for himself.
6: An uncomfortable moment (laughs) for me.
5: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much when he gets back from New York, she's only wearing panties and a robe with it open, where her breasts are almost exposed. Yeah, That's pretty much the look she's rocking from her own love nest with Manny all the way to this point, she walks in sort of seductively, finally addressing the elephant in the room. (laughs) That we've all been thinking about. Well, yeah. At first-
6: Like, what is the deal here, Tony?
5: You do think that he's overprotective of his sister, but it is weird because he didn't even see her for five years, and he does seem blown away by how she's matured. Like, he won't shut up about it. I do think that they are playing with a little bit of a an incestuous thing here, but I don't know what it means or what the extent of it even is. But you don't have Gina come into the room here dressed like this saying these lines if you're not flirting with that idea, obviously. I th- well, yeah. I don't really know what to make of it. It's strange. I guess he just has this sexual attraction to his sister that is added to the story for some reason that's never really fully explained. I don't know why.
6: I don't know. De Palma was like, we need this angle. It adds depth to the character.
5: Yeah, I think Stone initially didn't have it, but then when he found out De Palma was the director, he was like, all right, well, this guy's a fucking creep. He wants something weird like this. Tony.
4: Tony. What you want, Tony? Tony. You can't stand for another man to be touching me. So you want me, Tony, huh? Huh?
0: Was it Tony?
4: Is that.
3: Now,
1: before it's too late, ow, ow. Ow. oh come on, Tony. Oh, come on, Tony. Fuck me, huh? Oh, fuck me, Tony. Get out. Fuck me, Tony. Come on, and just fuck.
5: shoots and wounds Tony, but she's killed by one of Sosa's men in a brutal yeah, machine gun ridden death, just riddled with bullets. Mm-hmm. Tony grabs that guy, throws him off the balcony into a pool, and then shoots him a bunch of times.
6: Yeah, a lot of bullets fired in this final sequence here.
5: But most of Tony's men are dead or will be shortly, and he sees the invasion happening now on the security cameras. The prop firearms were equipped with electronic synchronizing devices so that they would only fire when the camera shutter was open. The result was that the guns' muzzle flashes are much more visible and consistent than in most films. Which, if you do notice, there is like a little bit more life to it than yeah, a lot of films from true. this era. Yeah, the guns. So what we have here is portrait of a pathetic man. Uh huh. Mumbling to Gina's lifeless, bloody body. Yikes. Begging her not to be mad at him, saying he loves Manny. <laughs> oh, boy. Just completely out of it. Uh-huh. He successfully managed to destroy anything in his life worth caring about. Obviously, Frank was an asshole and a hypocrite, but Tony didn't listen, and look what it cost him. That's right. As Sosa's men gather outside his office door, Tony deploys a grenade launcher-equipped rifle against the invaders. He kills many, but also suffers a ludicrous amount of gunshot wounds, taunting his would-be assassins as he does.
6: I'm certainly not going to do the say hello to my little friend line, but one thing that always jumps out to me watching this movie is I feel like it's often quoted in a different delivery. He's almost saying it like he's out of breath, you know? Yeah. But it is iconic. You wanna play, guys? Okay. I play Come on.
0: Okay. You wanna play Russ?
1: Okay. Say hello to my little friend! Okay! You wanna play Russ? us? Okay! Yeah! Okay! You are that? Ah, huh? You want more? Right. Ah! ah!
5: Tony seems impervious to bullets until Sosa's top lieutenant climbs up into the office and fatally shoots him in the back. Tony falls off the balcony, landing in an indoor fountain at the base of a statue bearing the motto, the world is yours.
6: Now, leading up to that final shot, he had been shot so many times.
5: Yeah. I saw somewhere that they were saying 10, including when Gina shoots him. How can they but tell, But it felt like way more than that Yeah, day. yeah. And then he's just taunting them, asking for more bullets. It's absurd. <laughs> yeah. When Tony Montana dies, the globe says the world is yours, which is what flashed on a billboard when Tony Camonte, Paul Muni, died in the original Scarface in 1932, as well as what the blimp displays earlier in the film.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: In the final shootout sequence, Al Pacino grabs the gun by the barrel Although only blanks were used, his hand was badly burned and production had to be shut down for a few weeks. The production used that time to film the final gun battle sequence from numerous angles using numerous cameras.
6: See, that's the part of movie making I would really enjoy when they're like, Oh, we gotta shut down production for three weeks. I'd be like, Hell yeah. <laughs>
5: <laughs> we're not doing shit. Even though the the budget is ballooning by the day.
6: <laughs> well, that's for somebody else to worry about.
5: And so, yes, it's a predictable and bloody end to the story of Tony Montana. I do think that one of the video games picks it up as if he doesn't die, and then you have to rebuild your empire and get revenge on Sosa and everything, but I don't know how you wouldn't die. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like he should have been dead long before the time he's actually dead. There's a lot to unpack as far as Tony and Gina go. I don't really know what to make of it. The whole thing with Elvira becomes more interesting when you realize that there is really no love or intimacy ever shown between the two, which speaks to the Gina situation itself, where you're kind of thinking, well, what the fuck is going on with this dude? They make it a point to have Manny in bed with a nude woman when he gets the call that they're going to go kill Frank, and then Manny gets distracted by the blonde in the blue bikini oh yeah in love with gina and so manny is a little bit too into the women i guess is the idea but i would argue that tony is not enough (laughs) because (laughs) yeah folks what is it for what is all this for well it isn't to be and get these hot women
6: but that is established early on when they're walking around the beach there's that whole thing that manny's doing with the tongue which is horrifying but oh like, yeah that clip will be in here he's basically just going on about it. he's like yeah my dream is that i own a line of blue jeans and it just says my
5: name across their ass or something <laughs> <laughs> pretty cool dream <laughs>
6: <laughs> meanwhile tony's like yeah i need to become like a millionaire and like the most powerful man in the world <laughs> Like that's like the different scales that they were operating on
5: yeah i think that scarface despite the many qualifications you have to make When recommending it, when talking about (laughs) it, the things that don't necessarily play well in 2022, I, I think that it's still like an awesome movie to go back and explore because it just is so indicative of a moment in time in the 80s. I think that it leads to Miami Vice and a lot of the other crime and gangster stuff that were to come in the rest of the decade, and as we've already talked about, I think that in future years down the line it became even more crucial of an influence on culture than it probably even was in nineteen eighty three. Definitely. It probably was more influential in the culture in the year two thousand. I'd say so, yeah. Than it was or two thousand three for the twentieth anniversary than it was in, in nineteen eighty three. If you only know Pacino from his more bombastic roles like Tony Montana, then you might think he's sort of a crazy, over-the-top actor. But when you see the full range of characters that he's played in his full career, I think it's pretty cool that he goes from one extreme to the other. And I think he usually is right. Yeah. He usually picks the right tone for the film. And as I was alluding to earlier, I just don't think the film would work as well if he wasn't like how he is. Oh, I, think I agree. That's, that's what a makes big. The movie. That's that's
6: the main attraction,
5: because it wouldn't really be believable or as compelling to watch. But you kind of buy into this guy as okay, this guy is destined to be on top, even though you know it's going to be short lived. <laughs>
6: <laughs> He's burning fast and bright.
5: I think that will do it for Scarface. It's a pretty big episode for us because usually we take off a little time in November, which we're not doing, so it's a special birthday episode for me. Oh, that's right, yeah. Which we usually don't do because we're off at the beginning of November. That's right, yeah. I'm turning 29. I can't believe it. 29 that years old. That is
6: exciting, yeah.
5: <laughs> Who would have thought? Your
6: whole life is in front of you still.
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God.
4: <laughs> what are you doing? What? <clears throat>
5: Vincent stopped making picks
4: Well how am I going to know What movies to see
5: We have a wide variety of Gene picks
2: Gene's trash
6: I'm Gene
5: Alright so let's do a quick Recommendation from Matt And then we're going to talk about a couple of things
6: Okay I just finished this Just before I came over An opportunity to watch a relatively new movie Streaming on Hulu A director who I'm interested in her work. Has only been on my radar for the past few years. Haven't seen all of her movies. They're certainly weird and worth discussing. The new Claire Denis movie that's on, like I said, Hulu right now, stars at noon. I can't say that I'm blown away by it, but I was in. I was having a good time with it. It's certainly weird, sexual. Margaret yeah, movies quality. are
5: often pretty sexual. Yeah,
6: the dark side of sexual, I'd say. <laughs> But this is like a, a weird love story in a way. Margaret Qualley, that dude that Taylor Swift is dating, is like the male lead in it. But like Benny Safdie and John C. Riley with a brief appearance in it too. All right. I'll just say it, it's weird, but I was enjoying the ride. It's long, so it's I don't want to go right back to watching this, but I do kind of want to revisit it and see if I can make a little bit more sense of everything with another watch. But, you know, it's always cool to watch a... Just a weird director going for it and doing something different because we just don't have a ton of that these days so to see That's that pop true. up on hulu and it's certainly different from a lot of the shit that i've been watching on shutter for the last month so jumped out to me in that way so check it out
5: stars at noon it's called
6: yes which i could not remember the name for the life of me because that just seems like the name of eight other movies
5: I wanted to talk a little bit about a film that I can't recommend because it's, I believe only available on VHS. I don't think that they ever released it on DVD or anything like that. And it's definitely not on streaming anywhere. It's called lady beware,
6: mm.
5: which I think is from 1987 and it stars Diane Lane.
6: Speaking of alone by heart.
5: <laughs> I know. Yeah. She has had an interesting career. A lot of her filmography is only available on VHS, especially <laughs> from the 80s. She had a run of like she worked with Coppola a bunch of times. Yeah, you have the Outsiders, Rumblefish, Fish, Cotton Club, and then later Jack, right? But outside of her collaborations with Coppola, it's a real weird beginning to her career that's all over the map.
6: You got to give her credit, then, for someone who's really...
5: Yeah, it's it's a tale of perseverance. She just kept at it and kept working, even though she was doing a lot of stuff that feels like it's scraping the bottom of the barrel for a mm, while. Yeah. And then by the end of the 90s into the early 2000s, she's kind of back as like a legitimate actress, I guess. I don't know. It's hard to say. Because a lot of stuff that she was in, I just... I had never heard of. But anyway, Lady Beware... <laughs> Is such an insane movie that I don't even really know how to explain it. I just wanted to talk about it because it reminded me of the absurdity of a roadhouse or something, which takes a bouncer and acts like he's famous, <laughs> and it's it, it's not Never that she's gets old. famous. But th- here's the description I am IMDb for Lady Beware. Cute Katya, Katya is okay. her name. Katya, K A T Y A, starts as a window dresser at a Pittsburgh department store. She dates a reporter, a fan stalks her, and is increasingly nasty. That doesn't really tell the full story, but it hints at it. Oh, yeah. Her full-time career is just doing window displays at a department store, which... I would imagine that that is just handed to somebody who already works at the store and say, put these mannequins out there. That's like the there. same
6: as like the key holder.
5: But it's treated as if it's an artistic pursuit. Like, yeah. And she's got mannequins in her loft apartment that she practices these sets. And she's like an artist. And I have to say that her window displays were kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. But they don't really sell any products. It would just be some weird scene of something happening. I don't really know how to explain it. But... Since we talked about Pittsburgh with Dawn of the Dead recently, I bought this VHS just because I was trying to watch some of Diane Lane's old movies. I had no idea this movie was set in Pittsburgh. It blew me away. It was hilarious to me. I recognized <laughs> so many places in it. Oh,
6: dude! You know who would be loving this movie is friggin' Lindsay. Anything that there's like regional Pittsburgh references, uh, particularly Horns Department Store. Yeah, so her mind would be like blown right now.
5: Yeah, you can definitely recognize some of the bridges and some of the locations and stuff. It's not a great movie. It was taken away (laughs) from the director so that the studio could recut it to have more nudity and be more of an erotic thriller. I don't really understand the love story part of it, but I guess it's just that she's in a relationship and that, that sort of fuels the stalker guy or whatever. But I don't know. I just wanted to talk about it a little bit to reiterate the idea that Physical media is something that you should latch on I got a TV-VCR combo that I put next to my bed, and that's why I bought some VHS tapes. Because there are movies like that that only exist on VHS now because they just never have been advanced any further. Right. And, no, I wouldn't say Lady Beware is a must-watch like, classic film, but Home am, run, I, am I happy stars. I watched it? Yes. I'm very happy I watched it. <laughs> And I actually bought another Diane Lane movie that seemingly is only on VHS called Priceless Beauty, co-starring Christopher Lambert, but that VHS tape didn't work. Well, so that's you know, part of the yeah. crapshoot when you get back <laughs> into that world. Sometimes it's going to happen. It's just straight static. Right. Nothing else. <laughs> All right. That's not really a recommendation. I just <laughs> wanted to mention it. You can't really... Unless you have a VCR and you want to buy the tape off of eBay.
6: That was a, a psych out.
5: So I wanted to talk a little bit about the news that we're getting a Friday the 13th prequel series called Crystal Lake. It's going to be on Peacock, and it's from Brian Fuller, who I had to look up. Of Fuller the- House. <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> who has done a lot of TV, Star Trek. He was the creator of Pushing Daisies, was okay, it? Okay. Something like that. Right, yeah. A bunch of different shows, and A24 is involved. This is coming on the heels of this protracted legal battle over who owns the rights to Friday the 13th and Jason and all this stupid shit. It doesn't seem like we're any closer to another movie happening, but I guess this TV situation is allowed to go forward. It is interesting because it does seem like they are going to be allowed to use anything from the Friday the 13th films. Like it, it It's not one of those things where they're not allowed to mention Jason or something, so I do think that they could advance the show if it is a hit and lasts. I don't have a ton of faith that something on Peacock is going to catch on and become a thing, but All you right. never know, I guess.
6: Mm-hmm. Here's hoping.
5: I know that most things suck, yes. and I complain Confirmed. about most things that are new, and everything ultimately is a letdown, but... <laughs> For whatever reason, in my head, I think of Friday the Thirteenth as the perfect playground to experiment with something because who cares if it sucks?
6: You're not going to ruin its legacy.
5: Yeah, we did our. <laughs> if
6: Jason X didn't ruin the legacy, if we
5: we did our. Give us a second last year, and a lot of the movies are fun and enjoyable, yeah. but I never feel that attached to it. I agree. Oddly, I can put on any of them at any time and watch it, and they're almost like comfort movies in yeah. a weird way, but <laughs> I don't have that much emotional investment in it. I'm not going to be so furious if <laughs> Crystal Lake, the show, sucks. This is
6: unacceptable.
5: <laughs> so, in that sense, yeah, it feels like the perfect thing to push forward. If it was a, I don't know how you would do this, but like a Halloween show, or even... I guess Nightmare on Elm Street I don't have that much attachment to either since most of them suck, but I don't know. There's certain things where you'd be like, kind of rolling your eyes at it, but for some reason this Crystal Lake thing, I don't know what they're going to do with it. I don't know what the plan is exactly because we all know kind of what the story is from the original where these camp counselors let a boy drown, the mother gets revenge eventually. We kind of already know that, so I'm sure there'll be something to shake it up, but I don't know. For whatever reason, I think that it could be fun. Dude, I think it's probably a... just goes back to, is this being said at a camp? It's like, yes. <laughs> it's like, well, we're in. <laughs>
6: I'll probably watch one episode and then not stick with I'll like it and then not stick with it. Yeah, it's that
5: just... happens a lot, especially when it's streaming on something random yeah. like Peacock because you never even think about going back. I know. It's really but... hard to get that footing in after all these other things have been too well established.
6: You just led me down a path thinking about like some Halloween series, but like with all the ridiculous timelines in Halloween, Okay, well, Halloween 1 and 3 happened, and that's it. they <laughs> you're like, what the fuck? In Halloween 3, Michael Myers is a fictional character. Yeah, he's a, in a commercial. Yeah.
5: <laughs> no, I think it would be cool if they did a Halloween series where they approached it like it was a Marvel thing or DC thing, and it was like Crisis of Infinite Earths. Yeah. And they like act like all of the timelines are real somewhere. <laughs> well... I rewatched Halloween H2O on Halloween this year. And I was wondering if Halloween H2O was sort of nodding to the alternate timeline where they are saying she faked her death in a car crash. Now, you can't say that the events of 4, 5, and 6 would have still happened because right. in that timeline in H2O, we haven't seen Michael Myers supposedly in 20 years. Like he's just been gone. True, yes. And he didn't show back up and kill and get like those other people. Murdered by
6: a town and then have some sort of weird run in with Paul Rudd.
5: Yeah, like that whole thing didn't happen, but the article about Lori being in a car crash and all that stuff, it seemed like reminiscent of what they try to pass off in four. Yeah. Like what happened to her. I never really considered that, but I guess it doesn't really make sense because the <laughs> events of those movies wouldn't have happened. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) that's the thing about this podcast. We really just want to talk about the same three subjects over and over again. (laughs) Everybody's just like, enough. (laughs) We know that the Oscars stink. We know (laughs) that Halloween has a bunch of timelines. And that you guys haven't liked a movie in 20 years. (laughs) We don't like any new movies. (laughs) I know. No, that's not true. I know. You just recommended some new movies. Yeah, that's right. I think it was based off of the Paris Hilton song Stars Are Blind.
6: I know. That's the thing that I – that's the type of stuff that pops in your head. That's why I couldn't keep the title straight.
5: <laughs> Folks. You get it. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter, at Pod and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, cetera. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like a free sticker from us, let us know on Twitter. And you can find me at Zach1983 on Letterboxd, and you can find Matt at Matt Crosby. Mm -hmm. We'll be back next week. We're going to have a fairly regular schedule, but I think for people who have been listening to the show for a while know we like to throw holiday episodes at you, so the the schedule will be what it is, but we're going to have a little treats for the rest of the year on the holidays and whatnot, you know how it is. So thanks for sticking with us. Hope you enjoyed Greatest October. Hope you stick around. We got a big end of the year. We're marching towards episode number 300, which will be exciting. Definitely. Who would have thought? All right. We'll talk to you next week.
4: In honor of the dune movie coming out i would like to deliver a message to
6: timothy chalamet i would strike you out on three pitches first pitch two-seam fastball 95 miles an hour outside corner that thing broke about a fucking foot bud you feel like you're drowning you feel like you're in hell second pitch curveball in the dirt you chased it of course you chased it ladybird sucked fuck you then bang four-seam fastball inside corner 98 miles an hour you're out timothy you are out you've always been out you've been out since the day you were born bye bye timmy Major flinch. All right, I'm actually going now. I hope your day sucks.